0: already blessed. Got greeted very well this morning and love what they're doing at the Justice Market. Y'all got to see what they're doing. I started crying when I saw some of the stuff there. Went over to prayer and they messed up my makeup. So (laughs) I love being here. I love the way God has knitted all of us together as a network of churches so that we can truly make an impact on our nation and the nations of the earth. And uh, Marty and I were with the youth last night actually and I kind of played a trick on Jimmy. He won't know till tonight. But I preached to the kids and I uh, actually got pictures that I haven't seen probably in 15, 20 years of Jimmy and I in Papua New Guinea. And i Incorporated in the message and put some up and more of him than me by far and uh, baited the kids to give him a hard time tonight. So <laughs> you have used, ask him about that. That was kind of fun, actually. All right, so we're continuing with y'all's series, Created to Do Great Things. Aren't you glad that we serve a great God? And then he says that that same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he puts inside of us. And that's why we, together in the body, can do great things for the kingdom of God. What an exciting time to live. And today we're talking particularly on a heart for justice. Fifty-three years ago, there was a little six-year-old girl that walked into a school with two U.S. Marshals in front of her and two U.S. Marshals behind her. As she approached the school, there was a barricade and people yelling terrible things at this poor little girl. When she finally made her way into the building, the school teachers refused to teach her. The administration were made by law to find a teacher that would teach her, and they did. A teacher stepped up, but they made her teach that child in a classroom all by herself. She had to do recess in the classroom, eat lunch by herself in the classroom with no other classmates. When she went to the restroom down the hall during the day, she had to go with escorts. This is a true story of a little girl named Ruby Bridges. You see, in 1954, the Supreme Court declared that school segregation was unconstitutional here in the U.S. But when Ruby was a first grader, the schools were still separated by race. And in 1960, in New Orleans, where Ruby lived, they finally chose a few black children to be integrated into a school. And a few of the children were chosen to go to the all-white William France Elementary School. But what happened November 14, 1960 was that Ruby was the only child that actually went. The U.S. Marshals came and they took her and the mom was like, where are the other children? And no other children came. But as a mom and dad who walked with God, they really prayed and believed that this was not only the right step for Ruby, but it was the right step for the children after her. And so I want you to watch this video clip as we set up the message. Hold up, right there. Wait till I open the door before you get out. We'll get behind you. The two men in the front car will walk in front of you. We'll all go in the building together. Stay between the four of us, and do not look back. No matter what happens, don't look back at the crowd. Look back! They ain't nothing going through it. I'm late for a medical conference, but... What? Hey, what's going on here? State of Louisiana says you cannot enter. Thank you, sir. The President of the United States says that I can. That's my favorite part of the movie, is when the the uh, New Orleans police officers say, she can't enter, but the U.S. Marshal says, oh, yes, she can. Here's a little letter from the president. (laughs) I love that part. And then here's a picture of the famous Norman Rockwall painting of this event. Maybe you've seen it before. In this movie reenactment of the story, it so depicts that great injustice of that error. It was as if God gave special favor and grace to Ruby. Can you imagine as a six-year-old little girl having to do that every single day for that first year amidst people yelling and the persecution that she underwent? But she had a very supportive mom and a supportive dad, and then others stepped up. Even in the movie, there was the picture of that psychiatrist that was actually a real-life person. His name was Robert Cole, and he witnessed this event for several weeks and was watching it and he was so moved with compassion that he offered to meet with Ruby once a week to counsel her and help her process that very difficult situation that first year. As I said, the teachers refused to teach her, but they found one woman by the name of Barbara Henry and she said, I will do this. But that's, how many of you are teachers in here? It's already stressful, right? Because you'd imagine how much stress this teacher underwent in that situation, but she signed up for it because it was the right thing to do. The Bridges family offers also suffered in the decision they made to send her to school. The father lost his job because of per- persecution. His grandpa- her grandparents were turned off their property in Mississippi that they had been at for 30 years. But other people stepped up and helped someone offered her father a job. Then the neighbors, they started watching her house because it was getting vandalized, and they stood watch on shift to make sure no one vandalized it. And then a group of people started gathering in the morning, and they followed the caravan of U.S. Marshals, the five blocks to the school, to show their support. And my favorite, some families even took their children out of their schools, the white schools, and took them and put them in to the William France Elementary School to show their support. Isn't that amazing? What strikes me about this story are the ones that stood up for Ruby, the ones who helped. It wasn't just one person that turned this great injustice of racism and prejudice. It took the President using his authority and his position. It took the U.S. Marshals and their training for what their job was the school teachers, the neighbors, the psychiatrists, and on and on. They acted justly with their skill set, and they took the opportunity. To me, this is a picture of the church. It's a beautiful picture of the church. I think the reason I love this story so much, and so many people do, is it's not just a story of a little girl, but it's a story of redemption. Normal people being moved by God, being moved by compassion, doing what they could do. There's a quote from the 1700s by Edmund Burke, and it says, All that it takes for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Thank God in that era there were good men and women that didn't just stand by and do nothing. Isaiah verse third, chapter 30, verse 19, it says, God is a God of justice. And in Isaiah 61.8, it says, I, the Lord, love justice. So I want to define the word justice for us. It says it's acting fairly, honestly, equitably. It's the fair and equal treatment of all individuals. Justice is standing up for what is right. And in the Bible and in the church, God calls us all to be a people of justice. Our theme scripture today is Micah 6.8. And it reads, And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Can y'all say that with me? Ready, read. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Well, this is pretty strong because it says, What does God require of you? What is He requiring of us. So let's break down this scripture. So the first part is about being honest. And it was so funny, when I was preparing this message, literally, I was walking in my HEB just a while back in the grocery store, while I was working on this message, and I walk in and there's a $20 bill on the ground. And I was like, woo, $20! And I picked it up, and I hate to say it, but my first thought was, that's an extra $20. Maybe I'll get my nails done, you know. And then I'm like, of course, this is not mine. So the honest thing to do is to take it to the manager. I mean, it could have been some little boy who had saved up his money to buy something or a mama going to buy groceries who accidentally dropped it. And when I went to the manager, she was shocked that I went and turned it in. Now, whether they, that person found it or not, that doesn't matter. But the Word of God calls us to be a people who walk in honesty, And now let's look at James 2 1 through 4, because the rest of the definition is to treat people equally. And the scripture reads My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, Come here, sit at the good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Wow. Could it be evil when we don't treat people equally and honorably and treat them with dignity? Um, A few years ago, Marty and I took our kids to do a poverty simulation. I don't know if y'all have ever done that, but you basically go into a ministry that ministers to the poor and you have to give up your possessions and your money and for the weekend really learn about what happens with the poor. And part of that time was meeting with our Mercy House, which is a recovery for men um, from drug addiction. And many of them were homeless and we heard their stories. And what impacted me the most hearing their stories was how they would say when they were out on the streets and they were homeless, how they just felt like they weren't even human because of the way other people treated them. And the longer they were out there not able to shower or to wash their clothes, the more they were treated poorly. And I remember leaving saying, God, it is complicated. It is sometimes you have to say, Do I feel safe or am I gonna be asked of something? Do I give money? Do I know? And we're in our own little world. But I thought no matter what the Lord is provoking us to do at that moment, we can treat them with dignity. We can treat them with honor. We can look them in the eye. We can greet them. Even if we're pulling up and they're asking for money in the corner, we can say good morning and God bless you and smile at them at least and treat them as human and with dignity. And I believe that's what the Word is calling us to, to walk in honesty and to walk in treating people with that are equal and with dignity another funny example is uh, when Dana and Heather Mercer some of our missionaries that when they were rescued out of Afghanistan they got to go to the White House and what was noted about them so many times were that they would treat the housemaids and the drivers and the common people around the hotels and the um, White House just as much as they would just the same as the way they treated the dignitaries and why did they do that? because they had years of walking with Jesus and honoring the poor and honoring all people. And so I believe that's a huge takeaway for us today is that we step up our game and we really engage and treat all people with dignity and with honor. I remember one time I won, which was really awesome, love to do it again, a coupon to get my house cleaned by Merry Maid. And four ladies came and they cleaned our house and Brooke and I happened to be home for the day And Brooke made them cookies, and we talked to them. And I mean, it was a fun day. I mean, that's a fun day, ladies, right? When you get your house clean, you know? And afterwards, we just said, is there some way that we can pray for you? And two of those ladies started crying. And they said, no one treats us well when we're in their houses. You don't know how many houses we actually go in in the summertime, and they turn off their air conditioning and leave for the day while we clean. Is that incredible? And so people of God, we can treat people honorably and with dignity, and that is extending justice, to act justly. It also means to stand up for what is right, this definition says. And there's a couple in our town, Jimmy and Janet Dorrell, and they do a tremendous ministry among the poor called Mission Waco. Maybe you've heard of it because they're incredibly impactful. And they also go to Haiti, and they've gone for 20 years to this same village that they're um, sharing the gospel and building churches and ministering to the the poverty needs also. A friend of mine went with some Americans with that team one time and she told me a story that they were with Janet in the office having a meeting and they heard this loud ruckus out in the village and Janet looked out the window and the townspeople literally had gotten stoned and they were going to stone a mentally ill young woman because she was acting out. And Janet yelled at the team, go get the woman. And she had, there was a whip in the house that someone had used for cattle. And she went out there and she started cracking the whip and cracking the whip, yelling at the townspeople. Not hitting them, but just making a noise to disperse them. And her team rescued that girl when I heard that story, I still feel emotional about it. I'm like, what was the courage that was in this woman that when this great injustice was about to happen to the least of these, she was compelled to go out. And I think it was in the day-to-day, honoring the poor, the day-to-day, getting into Jesus and treating people honorably, that when that situation came up, she reacted. And I believe God wants to deposit more of that in us. Proverbs 29.7 says, The righteous care about the justice of the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. So who has no concern? The wicked. That's not us, right? So we're concerned about the justice of the poor. Isaiah 123, it says, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless and fight for the rights of widow." I really like this scripture because it says we can learn to do justice. Sometimes the needs seem so big and they're so complicated that we can feel overwhelmed and not do anything. But I believe the people of God, we can tap into the wisdom of God, right? I believe that the church is filled with incredibly anointed people that are incredible teachers and house moms and homeschool moms and IT people that have wisdom, and we can learn how to pull that wisdom together and impact our world. Don't you agree? I agree with that. Justice is a core part of our Christian faith. The Bible references justice over 200 times. But honestly, when I would read passages like this, I would kind of gloss over them. And I would think, you know, I think that's for those social work people and those mercy ministries people, you know. I really kind of like evangelism and discipleship and things like that more. But I glossed over it until a number of years ago when I was traveling internationally, I was seeing how much human trafficking was happening around our world. And it was a huge issue. I was hearing more and more stories that there are 27 million modern-day slaves in the world today, much more than any other time in our history. Have you ever wondered when you were in school, what would I have done if I lived during the transatlantic slave days? Would I have had a voice and stood up against it? Or when you studied about the Holocaust, did you ever wonder if you would be like the Tim Boom family and be brave enough to hide the Jews in your house? You know, what would we do in that injustice? Well, today we have a great injustice that is very, very similar because just of the sheer numbers. Human trafficking is where people profit from the control and the exploitation of others. There are many cases globally where children are forced into factories as young as four years old with no opportunity for education, living in impoverished situations, working 12 to 16 hours a day. There are stories of young boys who were just playing in their villages, much like our children would be playing, but someone kidnapped them and turned them into child soldiers. I remember hearing about that in Uganda, and then I had the opportunity to go a few years ago. I was actually a little intimidated to meet some of these young men who had finally been able to escape from that and just wondering how hard and fear, you know, fearsome would they be. But you know what? They were just like you or I. They had hopes and dreams for education and for family. And someone oppressed them and there was a great injustice against them. And praise God, there's a church there and discipling them and restoring them and healing them. And their children are growing up in the fear of the Lord. Amen. There's great injustice that's happening. I learned of little girls, 5 to 12 years old, being sold in brothels every day over and over again with no escape unless the church and the people of God and people compelled with the compassion of Jesus go and do something about it. Every year human traffickers generate billions of dollars that are from victimizing millions of people around the world. So I started journaling and journaling, asking the Lord, What can I do? What can we do as a movement of churches? We have people all over the earth. We have the best people in the nation. What can we do about this great injustice? And I remember I was looking at Proverbs thirty one, eight and nine. It says, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy and I knew God was capturing my heart as He was so many other people at the same time. But busyness and life and kids, you know, every time I would think we need to do something, there was just, it just nothing would happen because there were so many things happening. But one day I heard Christine Kane speak. Maybe some of you were there at World Mandate in 2011. She's a fierce advocate for the enslaved in our world. And as she spoke, I was riveted as many others were in that room that day. And I knew I would never be the same. I was like, God, I'll quit everything. We have to do something as a movement of churches about this great injustice in our world. Because when we look back on history, I don't want to say the church didn't answer. Because I believe the church is hearing the cries of the oppressed and we want to answer. We just need to know how to do it. And so I want to be a part of setting the captives free. As one who has been set free, I want to see as many as we can be pulled out of the dominion of darkness and translated into his marvelous light. Now, I may not have been enslaved as some of the ones that I've mentioned, but I think many people in this room, we've experienced other forms of oppression or betrayal or pains and hurts. And when we come into Jesus, He's the restorer of our heart. He's the one that renews our mind. And he's the one that changes all the bad things and says, I'll use it for good. I believe that God can do such a powerful work within us that we can go into the darkest places of our earth and we can snatch them out of that dominion of darkness and bring the light of God. And I remember during this time, I was like, God, can I do it? Can I do it? I really don't. Like hearing these bad stories, I come from a lot of brokenness. There were, I don't know what I counted them, I think 11 divorces in my family just in my elementary school years. We moved nine times. My mom had bipolar. My dad and my twin brother are alcoholics. My twin brother was alcoholic since he was 13, and he's homeless today. Not walking with Jesus yet. Everybody say, yet. But so a lot of brokenness in my life, and I was like, God, can I do this? Can I hear these stories? It's so hard. And the Lord led me to this little children's book written by Jill Briscoe. Maybe some of you have heard of it, and it's called Jonah and the Worm. So it's the story of Jonah turned from the t- told from the worm's perspective. And so Jonah in the book is talking about Nineveh, and he's saying, God, Nineveh is so evil. They betray each other. They cheat each other. They steal from one another. They murder each other. God, this is so dark. Are you sure you want me here? And as he continued obeying God and being in Nineveh in this little children's book, he began to glow. And he didn't know it, but he was a glow worm. So it's being told by the, the perspective of the worm. And then this one line really got me, and it said, you don't know what will come out of you until darkness surrounds you. And I really felt like that was the word of the Lord, that in and of ourselves we can't go into these hard places. But with the light of Jesus, with the power of the gospel, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit and his wisdom and his word, with angelic beings working on our behalf, we can go and we can make a difference. And so from then on, I was like, "All right, God, what do we do? What do we do?" And we ended up coming together with a group, a small group of ladies, and we met in someone's house, and we started praying, asking God, "What can we do?" I met with our elders, and um, if y'all know Carl Goley and Kevin Johnson in our movement, and just said, "What is God calling us to do? Something, and what can we do?" And that's when we burst unbound and just said, Lord, give us wisdom, show us strategies of heaven of what we can do. And I really thought we would do more in the international side because I believe that we need laborers planting churches and winning the lost and reaching out to these hard places. But we began studying and we found out that we have a huge domestic minor trafficking problem in our own nation. The scope of the issue remains uncertain because, of course, it's illegal. It's underground. It's hard to get hardcore numbers. But the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children says that there's at least three to 400,000 kids that are being trafficked every year within our own borders. I believe that we have human trafficking in every city of our nation. Right now, Houston is the number one city for human trafficking, and Dallas-Fort Worth is number two. It's incredible. Runaways, one out of three runaways are approached by a trafficker within 48 hours. Texas has the number one highway for human trafficking, I-10, and one-third, they say, of all trafficking victims in the U.S. will go through Texas. The National Human Traffic Hotline receives more phone calls from Texas than any other state and 15% of them are from Dallas-Fort Worth. So doesn't that just tell us? We've got to know about this issue. We've got to care about those that are being oppressed within our own area. At this time, because there's so little work being done, only 1% of these victims are identified and rescued. When a minor is not rescued out of this situation, her life expectancy is seven years. It's amazing. And you might say, how does this happen? While anyone can become a victim of trafficking, certain populations are especially vulnerable. They include undocumented migrants, runaways, homeless homeless youth, the impoverished groups, and the foster care system is highly targeted. Traffickers specifically target these individuals because they're very vulnerable to the recruitment tactics and the the, uh, methods of control. When we came together and we started doing awareness meetings just trying to teach our own congregation about the the whole scope of trafficking and what the tactics are and how this happens among our youth and where these kids are located and how to locate them and identify them, we had a physician come in and we pulled 75, I think, or 80 doctors that were trained on how to identify these victims within their own practices because 85% of them are going through our clinics and our ERs, and they're not being identified as victims. And so there's a lot we can do by just growing in our education and awareness. Pimps and traffickers recruit girls. The average in the U- age in the U.S. is 13. And they do this by posing as a boyfriend or a caretaker or a protector. They might meet them on social media, and they can build up. They are so manipulative. They can build up a relationship with a minor within, I've seen it mostly within two weeks. They can build such loyalty of that teen through social media, never meeting them, that that teen will or adolescent will leave their home, their school, and their friends to go with someone they've never met because he promises love and affection and a home and a new life. And so what can we do about this? We can make a huge difference in the lives of kids. Our educators, Sunday school teachers, neighbors, children's workers, and life group leaders all can love on kids and speak value and dignity to you to them. I remember when I was doing a meeting, an awareness meeting teaching, a young lady came up to me and she said, I was sitting there thinking, what could I do? What could I do to help with this issue? And she said, then I realized I mentor a group of 14-year-olds now. That's what I do, and I am doing something about it because I am sewing into these kids, and that is true. It matters what we do to gird up and strengthen these kids in who they are in God. And like I said, almost every city has human trafficking because drug dealers and gangs and criminals are turning to the trade because there's huge profits and very little risk of being caught or being prosecuted. In Waco, a while back, we had two runaways from the Waco Center for Youth. The first night, they spent the night in the streets. And the second night, a woman and a man approached them, promising to protect them, and gave them a hotel room and fed them. One of them, when she saw things turning bad, ran and got away. The other one was trafficked for two weeks before she ran to law enforcement and was rescued. And then we heard that in the front page of the paper that the traffickers were caught. And our unbound team, we just rejoiced that they were caught. But then you fast forward five months, and I received a phone call just two months ago in my office. And it was the mom of the trafficker. And the mom said, my daughter was trafficked, and I heard that you guys can help me. And I said, tell me your story. And when she started unfolding it, I realized that she was only 20 years old newspaper didn't publish how old she was. And what happens is the girls are trafficked and then they're turned recruiter because of the manipulation and control. Well I'm so thankful for our congregation just like yours with your Unbound team. We have volunteer attorneys that are learning about all the dynamics of trafficking victims and the law and how to defend them. And so our attorney was able to get involved and help the DAC. Don't charge her as a trafficker This is a trafficked victim, and we were able to secure her getting placed into a safe house. And because of the donors and the fundraisers, we have money in our account, and so I went and visited her in the jail where they were holding her, and she was just an innocent little blonde girl, 20, looked 15, because they target girls that are easy, manipulatable. And when I talked to her, I asked her, I said, what would you like the church to pray for you? I'm going to cry, sorry. So what would you like for us to pray for you these next couple of months as you go to the safe house? And she said, pray for the girls that were out there with me, that they would find God and they would get rescued. And then because we had the resources from the fundraisers and people giving, we were able to buy her some clothes. And I met the parents. They came to my office. And I was able to give them clothes before they went to go pick her up so she would have clothes to go to the safe house in. And I was so thankful that the church had responded. Can you imagine going through that as a mom and a dad? But I was able to say, the church is there for you. I was able to say, I met met with your daughter. She's beautiful. Do you know what she said when I asked her what we could pray for her? She was thinking of others. And can you imagine what that meant to these parents? And I was like, yes, it matters that we, the church, are doing something about this. They have a safe place to come for their own healing, and then we are able to intervene on the behalf of this one. The church responding to injustice. It's not new that we are doing this. We have a long history in America to be the forerunner in things that affect our nation. The care for the sick historically was addressed by Christians. Hospitals grew as part of the church's mission and became a part of community as they tended to the health care of soldiers and then others who were suffering. Today, many of our hospitals are still supported by the Methodists and the Lutheran and the Baptist. And if you look back in history, most of the surgeons and the doctors and people in the hospitals were believers. They were Christians compelled by compassion of Jesus to start that. Christians were also the forerunner in establishing good education. When you look back in our history, there was a great need because there was so much illiteracy. And 106 of the first 108 colleges were started on the Christian faith. At the close of 1860, there were 246 colleges in America, and 17 were state institutions, and almost every other one was founded by Christian denominations or individuals who claimed the name and the reason of Christ. That's incredible. Harvard was named after a Christian minister. Yale was started by clergymen. Princeton was first year the class was taught by Reverend Dickinson. So it was the compassion of Jesus seeing huge needs in our world, being compelled by God, having his wisdom to come alongside and to do it. Another great social need in our country was the need of orphans in the early 1900s. At one time, there were 30,000 orphans just in New York City. And so there was a man, a minister by the name of Charles Brace, who started going out and ministering to those kids. And then he started trying to get them placed in homes, Christian families that would be moved by compassion and raise them on their, as their own. And the need was so huge that that's when they started the, um, the trains. Y'all, y'all heard about the orphan train. And there was 150,000 to 200,000 kids were placed in homes during those years. That's a lot of kids. And his hope didn't always happen, but his hope was that they would be taken by Christians who would raise them as their own, clothe them, educate them, and teach them about the ways of Christ. So why are we impactful and effective as a church? Because we have people that are moved by the compassion of Jesus. Because we are commanded to set the captives free. Because we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit within us to see healing and restoration and deliverance be thoroughly brought. Because in our congregations we have skill sets from law to educators to um, social workers and all that's needed, medical people, that can add their skills to impact these injustices. Our own structures facilitate an impactful work because we have meetings and services and women's groups and training schools, places where we can pull people together, train them to recognize these issues, and then when God calls upon us to use our skill set to make a difference. And we are a people that are motivated by our spiritual obligation to bring about real, pragmatic changes and sustained work with little resources because we believe in a supernatural God. Amen? So this is why as a network of churches we started Unbound. And our teams work to spread awareness and events and prayer. We conduct professional training so social workers and teachers and medical professionals and different ones are able to locate and identify these kids and be able to get them help. As I said, the prayer times and the fundraisers are a great asset to what we do. And even when we do a 5K race or anything, it's spreading awareness, and awareness saves lives. When we talk about it, then people start identifying with it. And when we are doing something as a church, then people in our own congregation who are either victimized by this, or their children are, or someone they know are, they know that they can come here for help and healing. And just a couple of weeks ago, we had a mom in our congregation come to us. And her stepdaughter had run away because she was placed in the juvenile system and she didn't want to be placed back into that home. It's a complicated situation, and it usually is, because that's the kind of kids these traffickers target. She ran away with a friend saying that she was promised this place in Houston and these people were going to take care of them, but she was trafficked. She was fortunate enough to have her cell phone and was able to text her mom enough information for her to contact Vice in Houston that rescued her and a 15- and a 16-year-old, and she was 17. And I want to say for our law enforcement, man, we need to pray for them, encourage them, because they are out there doing the hard work, and we need to get behind them. When Vice went out to try to find these kids They couldn't find them the first night, and they called the mom and said, I'm sorry, we're calling it a night. We can't find them. And, of course, the stepmom went hysterical because she knew what was happening to her stepdaughter. And this one vice guy said, I will find them. And he went back out, and he found all three of those kids. Isn't that amazing? But we were able to minister to the mom and be able to receive this girl, and we are working this week to get her placed into a safe house. We have a college student that's been taking her to appointments and taking her to get clothes because she didn't have anything. Our medical doctors who were trained were able to see her and know the special needs that she has as a victim. Our attorney is able to work with the law office in Houston because she actually got charged with prostitution. That's a whole other story and crazy. But our attorney whose skilled, is fighting to say, take that off. She is a victim, not a criminal. So I'm so thankful for all the people that are jumping in to do something. So what else can we do just the day in and day out? Let's look at Micah 6.8 again. That we can act justly day in and day out. That we can live honestly. That we can treat people equally in our daily lives. That when we are faithful with these things, in the little, God will give us more. And we can look for those opportunities. We can educate ourselves on the issue of modern day slavery and read books on it and continue to learn and Unbound will continue to house education things here to teach us. We can increase our pressure on companies telling them that we don't want products that are made by slaves around the world. We can abstain from pornography and use our voice to communicate that we will not participate in pornography that is totally linked to trafficking and it drives up the demand for these victims. We have a curriculum coming out in the next couple of weeks that any men can have where everything's on the PowerPoint and you can educate your small groups, your life groups, your men's groups, people at work, on the addictive factors of pornography and then it goes on to how it is connected to trafficking and it's really compelling and it's a source for men to be able to stand up for this issue. Because we need godly, holy men in this fight, too. These girls need to know that there are good men out there. There are protectors. There are prayerful men. There are men of dignity and of honor, and they are safe. So the Bible tells us to seek justice and rescue the oppressed. So just like those people ran into Ruby's story, you ran into this story today. Ruby's story fought to end prejudice and racism in our country. But there are twenty seven million Rubies out there today. Ruby didn't need the US Marshals to quit their job to fight it. She didn't need the president to fight it or the teacher to or the president to quit his job or the teacher to quit their job to fight this injustice. They just needed to step up and to do what they could do within their sphere of influence. Our passion of justice comes from our faith, our love for God and for others. When I spoke with the first minor trafficking victim, and she was from Fort Worth, she was 14, and she told me her story. And then at the end of her story, she said, we don't think that anyone out there cared about what was happening to us. And everything in me, I had to control myself. But everything in me wanted to go, oh, we care. The church cares. We just didn't know. And we just didn't know what to do. But we're figuring it out. And I know that that's true. I know that you care and that we care. And we want to answer this in our day. I believe that teachers and students and moms and medical professionals, bus drivers, hotel managers, restaurant workers, attorneys, art teachers, jewelry makers, we all care about this issue and we can each do our part. And I believe that we, the people of God, don't want to just be hearers, but we will be doers of the word of God today. And I want to leave today with this blessing from St. Francis of Assisi. And this is what he said. He said, May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may tirelessly work for the justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can really make a difference in this world and that you are able, with God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done. I want you to stand in the worship team's coming. Maybe today you're reminded of your own pain of injustice or things that you still need healing about. And the prayer ministers are going to come forward and, and just come if the, if the Spirit of God touched on something. We want you to receive prayer today. Or maybe you realize you haven't shown dignity and honor to those that are around you and the poor, and you want to make a new commitment to walk in that today. And I believe that there are some that want to consecrate their gift sets afresh again today. Wherever God's called you, whatever skills He's given you, that you want to say, God, they're yours. Use them for your honor and for your glory. And help us as a church make a great, great work so that we can see these kids rescued and restored. Amen? So let me pray. Father God, we thank You so much. God, that You love us. That You see the One. You see the tens and the hundreds and the thousands and even the 27 million. And Lord, we just believe that the one matters. And so God, we're asking to us as a church and as a network of churches, teach us, God, how to come together and to make an impact to see this great injustice of our day stopped. And Father, I ask for healing of anybody's heart who was touched today, who has suffered, that they would receive greater healing and be used of you to heal others. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.